Well, listen, if you have your Bible, I'm going I'm to talk full voice and you're going to hear ringing for just a second. We'll get it working for you. Um, open your Bible to Ephesians for me. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, that's perfect, guys. Thank you. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. And as we look at it, I'm going to find out something here. Hey, guys, would you all make sure that didn't come unplugged? There we go. It was unplugged. Great. So it'll come back on here. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 1 through 6 this morning. My original plan as I started the week was to be in verses 1 uh, all the way down halfway through the chapter and uh, found myself not getting able to be past verse 6 as we move into this thing. I, I want to share with you where we are and where we've been. Maybe you haven't been at church in, in a while. Maybe it's your first time visiting with us. We asked a question a few months ago about what's blocking the view here at First Baptist. In other words, what's keeping people from Je seeing Jesus Christ as he desires to be seen through our church fellowship? And, and a few weeks back on June 9th, I shared with you that, that me, that our staff and our deacons, that we're going to be fasting throughout this time and praying and seeking the Lord. And what's been amazing through this whole process is that God is really revealing himself in ways that I, uh, I haven't seen or experienced in, in a while and almost a, a listening to him. And last week and I, when I shared with, with you and our church family that 70% of our church family that is here now was not here four years ago, it, it really caught me off guard. Uh, someone was saying, Pastor, that just took my breath away. And I said, no, no kidding. It, it took mine away too. When I found it out, when I, when I saw it and discovered it, I thought, how in the world did that come to be? And I told multiple people this week, if I wasn't so excited about the revelation, I'd be really mad at myself for not realizing it sooner. Not, not being aware of what God was doing as he was blending new lives together here at First Baptist. Those lives who've been here for many years and those who have come in recent years into making one church family. And so as all of that's come to be, as all of that's coming into place, it's really struck me that God has, is blessing and performing surgery on our lives. That he's changing who we are, not, not in our mission, that doesn't change, not in his doctrine, that doesn't change, but in bringing us together into a new community that, that we didn't see before. And so we're going to be putting together and, and jumping into those things. But let me tell you, as, as that revelation's coming, it's been hitting me that something that I have heard so much over the last four years has been that this is a welcoming church family. That we are a, a welcoming environment. So if, if you find yourself walking into our church family, you feel welcomed. And I, and I shared with someone about a year ago, how in the world do we stop being a welcoming church and become an inviting church? Have you noticed the difference? When we, when we welcome someone, we do it because we're glad that we're here and we think that they're going to like the environment as well. We're just glad that you found your way in. If, if you knock on my door, depending on who you are, I'm going to welcome you in, in varying ways. But it's very different for me to call and invite you. Do you know what happens when you come up to my office? I love welcoming you in. Do you know what happens when I invite you to lunch? You think you're in trouble. Have you realized this? Everyone I'm, I call and say, hey, would just love to grab lunch with you. Sounds great. Somewhere in the conversation, you're going to say, so pastor, what do you want to talk about? And, and what's funny is probably four out of five times I'm going to tell you, I just want to have lunch to get to know you better. 
And what's been interesting to me over the past four and a half years, I've just been seeing my ability to, to touch lives and to have lunch with more and more people. It, it seems like, God, I, I just don't have enough time in the day. And it's because I'm trying to figure out how do I establish relationships with, with church members all across the board. And it's funny how we might not know as much of the church families we did four years ago. And all that wraps and rolls in together. And it was just this aha moment of God, you are going to have to form this new community. This isn't going to be something that we prefab and put into place. This is not something that we read a, a self-help church style book and come into place. Is that we have to come into an agreement together of what it is to be the family of God, the church in this location here. And when we understand that, when we agree, when we find ourselves there, I believe that's when all of a sudden we'll go from being welcoming to inviting. I'm so glad Omar shared his story. Because I want to walk you into our sermon this way. Uh, it was not planned before about 4 o'clock this morning. At 3.15 this morning, I woke up. And I don't know why my phone ringer was off. Otherwise, in the Holy Spirit. And, and it was a voicemail from Centerpoint. Our church electricity had been out since 3 o'clock that afternoon. And was still off at 3 o'clock. And there was no one in the church to let them in. So you know what a pastor does when he gets that call? He calls back and says, how far are you? I will get here. So at 3.15, I show up to the church. I didn't think. So I thought I had sweatpants on. They were pajama pants <laughs> and flip-flops. Someone said, Pastor, you're growing out your facial hair? No, I just haven't shaved. And <laughs> so, so, so I get to church, and the worst fear is everything is dark. Parking, elect, the emergency lighting has, the batteries have run dead. There, it is, it is dark. And the center point truck comes out and these guys come in and, and they start testing. And I said, this happens every now and then. It's probably a fuse or transformer. If you guys will fix that, I'll hang out here for a little bit. And so they're here with me for two hours and they're testing everything outside the building. And everything is fine outside of the building. And then they say to me, well, it's weird that all your power would be out. I agree. That means it's your problem. And, and so we're having this conversation. I said, well, please, would you mind just checking out in the field? And so I, I'm, they do. Great guys. They've been on staff working since 8 a.m. yesterday morning. Pray for our guys who are helping those without power. So I'm upstairs. I'm, I'm about to walk downstairs saying, God, can I just quit? Can I just, can I just quit? Because I don't know what to do. It's supposed to rain tomorrow. We can't even have church outside. What are we going to do? It's brisket fellowship, God. Do you understand? What are we going? My buddies are saying you can have church in our gym. We're, we're trying to come up with plan A, B, C, D, E. And then how do we get everyone? Lord, I don't know what to do. And if it's their, not their problem, then why am I here? Because it's listen. You can't get a hold of people at 3 o'clock in the morning. They're doing, they're sleeping. And, and I thought, surely you just don't want me to tell them about you. This is horrible. Like, and so immediately I brush off that thought. Literally, I brush it off. And, and I think, God, if, if, 
you brought them here, it was to help us out. So maybe I can ask them some more questions. So I walk outside and the transformer by the church starts buzzing. Bzz, bzz. Oh, power. Nothing in the church is buzzing. It's still dark. But they're across the field. They're, they're chainsawing trees to get it away from our power. So I'm walking out flip-flops and pajama pants and all that stuff and and I go out there to tell them the good news it's buzzing I don't know what that means in electrical engineer terms but it's buzzing so I go out there and this guy crosses over one of the two guys helping us out and I'm like I here it comes you're gonna say we we we've missed it we missed the power problem. Everything's going to be great. You're going to have lighting and air conditioning in the church tomorrow. Brisket Sunday for Jesus is saved. And he jumps across. We're now both in our drainage ditch. And he jumps across and he goes, tell me your name again. And I said, David, like expecting good news. And he says, and you're the pastor here. We're now two hours into our relationship. And I said, yes. And he says, you know, we used to go to church a long time ago. Can you tell me about yours? I'm like, what? What? God, in the stairwell when I was quitting, you let this thought go through my mind and I dismissed it. I just dismissed it. Oh. Thank you for moving beyond me. You see, because at that moment, I was seeing my problems. I wasn't seeing God's mission or his church or what he has built me for. Listen, I am not an electrician or a journeyman. I'm not, I'm not even good handyman. I'm clueless. And, and this great guy who's here helping us is saying... Can you tell me when I'd love to connect? <laughs> I can write like mud on my arm. What's your phone number? I'll call you later. You know, I got nothing. And I walked away and they left. We didn't have power at 730 this morning. One of our members, our electricians came out and, and, and pulled a magic wand three times and everything came. I don't know. All of it is a praise the Lord. And I started to wonder, God, did you allow all of this to happen to remind me of exactly what I'm preaching about tomorrow? That it's not just for the church, it's for me. And that's what Ephesians 4 is, is about. I don't want to be a church that people have to ask me about. I want to be the body of Christ that tears down the gates of hell and sets the captives free. Amen? That's who God's called us to be. In fact, it's the word call I want to talk about. If you have your Bible, look with me in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read verse 1 because that's as far as I can get as we start things off. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. It says, I, Paul's writing this to the church at Ephesus. I therefore, prisoner of the Lord... Urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of to which you have been 
called. Now, this may be a passage that you've heard many, many times, but I want to start it off differently than maybe you've heard it before. If you have a King James Bible and you have it in your hand, do me, do me one of these solids. Put it, can you give me a show of your hand? Yeah. Does your word say calling or does it say a different word there? It says what? Vocation. It says vocation. Now, this is big because this is where I want to go. Let me see if this will work out here this morning. This is what I want you to think about when you think of the word calling this morning. Because when I think of the word vocation, someone said this to me already uh, this week. When I think of vocation, I think of a job. Hey, note to self, work is good. Like before sin happened, guess what God gave us? A job. Right? Work is good. Slothfulness, it's a different story in Scripture, but, but work is good. And so I want you to know in the freedom, Paul's talking to the church at Ephesus. He says, I want you to live worthy, walk worthy in the vocation to which you have been summoned to. You see, I think sometimes we believe that the vocation that God gives to people is pastor. And that vocation is what defines us. So, so we start to define ourselves by our vocation. If you work minimum wage, then your vocation defines you as different than someone who's making multi-millions. If you have a, have a job as a, as a lifetime employee at a company and it ends, it, a lot of times, men, we have an identity crisis because our vocation has ended. When our kids grow out of the house, mom... When you become empty nesters for the first time, we're, we're about to send one off. We're about a year away from sending our first off. Let me tell you what happens. I know because I've witnessed it. Your vocation changes and it creates heart palpitations when our vocation changes. Because we find identity in our vocation. Now, if that's true, I want you to say amen. If you find identity in your vocation, say amen. One, two, three. Amen. I mean, we do. If you didn't say amen, that's okay. I'm not going to call you a liar. You are, but I'm not going to call you that this morning. Because we find our, our identity in what we do. And when we can't do it anymore, it sends us on this tailspin. Well, here's the best news of the day. Your vocation was given to you by God. It is not your job that you do. You see, your job is an avenue for your vocation. This is what scripture tells us. That your job is an avenue for your vocation. Are, are you an electrician? It's an avenue for your vocation. Are, are you a, a homemaker? It's an avenue. Are you city council? Are you a pastor? Are you fill in the blank? If you're a teacher. They're all avenues for your vocation if you belong to Christ. If you don't belong to Christ, it's a shell game. And God wants to put a vocation to your life. But if we believe that we all have different vocations, then we find ourselves unable to be the community that God called us to be. Because all we see is our differences and we link together only with people who have like vocations. If you're a preschool mom, we can all of our preschool moms can hang out. We have like vocations. All of our golfers, we have like pastime vocation. You know, we, we link together. That, those are not your vocation. Those are your avenues. The Bible says, live a life 
Therefore, a prisoner of God urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the vocation, the calling to which you have been called. Check this out. This is what God says. Your vocation is to be walked, which is the word live. In other words, you have to know your vocation. And once you know your vocation, you have to live in a way. Now catch this. That aligns with that. That's what we saw with the, with the lantern and the lamp. If you are not living your life in a way that aligns with your vocation, it grinds. After I wrecked my first car, my second car was a Dodge Stratus. And it had a, a standard stick shift. And I had tried to learn how to change gears like truckers do without using the clutch. So third gear didn't have teeth in it anymore. So you had to skip from second to fourth. You know what I'm saying? Some of you are like, what's a standard? You'll get there one day, Lord willing. But, but catch this. As, as I'm going through this motion, as I'm looking through this, that car was supposed to be driven in a way that it was supposed to be driven. You drive, do you know this? You drive a standard shift Dodge Stratus differently than you drive a semi-truck. Just letting you know that. They're handled differently. You see, you and I have to live our life in a way that aligns with our vocation. This word align can also mean to complement. When you and I are not living our life in a way that complements or that aligns with our vocation, it's going to grind. It's going to feel heavy. You're going to feel like you have to skip that gear after a while because you're just tired. Things, things seem like every time you try... They fall apart. There's a reason for that. Because you're not living your life in alignment with your true vocation. And you may say, Pastor David, what's my vocation? The Bible gives it in many, many places. We can find it in Matthew 28. We can find it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. When the Bible says, listen, go ye therefore and make disciples. In my name, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says it shorter. Paul just says, we are ambassadors for Christ. Although, as though he was making the appeal through us. Your vocation is to live out a life that aligns with the one who called you. It is to make disciples... Of Jesus Christ. It's his appeal through you. That's your vocation. It's not my vocation alone. It's ours. You may say, Pastor, I'm retired. Do you know if you're retired, here's what my friends tell me. That your social activity goes up and becomes really expensive. You find yourself among more doctors and nurses than you've ever been around in your life. Guess what? Your vocation still is working. Just because you stop doing your avenue or you've changed avenues doesn't mean your vocation has stopped or ceased. If you are living and breathing and you claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have a vocation that you can't retire from and you shouldn't retire from. And the moment you retire from it, it's amazing how life starts to lose purpose. That's the discipline of God. That's what it is. If we wrap our arms around this together, then we begin to have the identity of one that Christ calls us to. But if it's just someone else's job, 
or if it's just my job when someone asks me at 4 o'clock in the morning in my pajama pants in the field about it, then we are not going to know life to the fullest and the hope and the joy that God gives us. He has given us a vocation. Look with me in verse 2 and 3. The Bible says this. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You see, once we know our vocation, the question is, so, so how do I live out my vocation? It's one thing to know it, right? I'm, I'm trying to talk electrician speak this morning. I'm pretty sure it sounds like a kindergartner trying to describe their drawing, right, to a parent. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with, I just wish I knew what to say or how to say it or how to articulate it. Sometimes have you found yourself saying, God, I, I just wish I knew how, like with what manner is worthy. If I know what I'm supposed to do, but with, with what way, what's it supposed to, what characteristics does a worthy life live with? Because I've seen the street preacher, I was at A&M. And a guy with a megaphone preaching Jesus, cursing people down at the same time. Was the message biblically true? He was using the Bible. But the manner with which he was living it out was unworthy. Have you ever found like, God, I don't want to live it out unworthy. How do I know what to say and live it in this way? He says, here, let me just show you. This is for all of us, church. And I want you to process this. First of all, he says we live it out with humility. We live it out with humility. This is the craziest thing. We know what it means to be humble, but this word humility was not in the Greek language this way until the Christians started using it. You see, the root word of this word humility meant cowardly. It meant cowering. It was a word that no one wanted anything to do with. And what Christ did when he took the basin and he washed the disciples' feet, when he took our sin and allowed himself to be nailed to the cross, he all of a sudden showed us that being humble, putting oneself in intentional, not oppressed submission to the greater need of the call was a characteristic or a trait that marked Christ followers. I mean, look in the world right now. Humility is not elevated. It's a, it's a Christian characteristic. It's supposed to be. You see, what would it look like if you and I were the church? Let's not pretend there's even other churches out there. We don't want to critique or criticize. Let's just pretend we're only ones here. What would it look like if humility intentionally submitting ourselves so that the good of the others around us could be met and drawn together. You're hungry. When we're done here, there's going to be brisket, 100 pounds of brisket in the room past. What if someone wants to cut in line? It's a Baptist fellowship. Humility doesn't reside there, does it? Yeah. What does it look like would we look really strange and different from the world if humility defined us? We would. Because it's a characteristic of the bride of Christ, not of the world. 
It says not just humility, but then it goes further and it says gentleness. Now this, this idea of gentleness is how we deal with other people. How we're mindful of them. How we allow ourselves for the sake of Christ to think of how they receive of what others need to allow ourselves to be in alignment with Christ. Not just humble, saying, God, I don't deserve that front place in line, but gentle. What do you need? You see, it's a funny thing. Gentle and judgment don't belong together. This is a, a true thing happening here. It's one thing to state a fact. If, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you're going to be separated from him from eternity. That's not judgment. That's telling you scripture. But Jesus says, I'm not even here to judge you. Your sin judges yourself. Gentleness and judgment are not bedfellows. Because gentleness is mindful of how this person can be a call follower, a Christ follower, can join me in the vocation to which I have been called. What would you look like? What would we look like if that kind of dealing with other people around us defined us as Christians? It would look like the church. Third point. He says this, and let patience. And he adds this word next to patience. My Bible says long-suffering. Do you know like that's the most hated two words in our whole language? I, I, I can do anything for a week. Amen. Like, if I need to endure a painful treatment for a week, and I know at the end I'm going to be okay, I'm in. In college, if I could take an I term in January and knock out a credit of classes in two weeks and hate life for two weeks, I'm in. But long suffering, not normally a fan of. Yet Christ says that's a characteristic of the church. I heard one person describe long suffering as having the power to do what you want but bearing the burden of others so that they can make it there with you. Oh, would that be different? Long-suffering, having the power, the resources to, to make an advance, to get out of a situation, to change your view, to, to take things into your own hands. But God says, I want you to be long-suffering. I want you to bear the burdens of one another. Now, church, I want you to hear this. This applies in many situations, but this right here is a uniquely Christian context. Paul is writing to the church that with one another, with your brother and sister in Christ, you need to be long-suffering and bearing their burdens. You need to be willing to walk slowly through the halls with them. You need to be willing to invest in them and take time. Why? The Bible says it. Because you and I should be eager. What should we be eager for? Look in your Bible. We should be eager to maintain the what? Unity. You see, humility, it's not about me. It's about the church. Gentleness, it's not about me. It's about the bride of Christ. Patient and long-suffering, that's not about me. It's about the bride. I want you to see this. If we are going to be the church that God called us to be, then we must be 
eager to maintain. The word maintain basically means to ensure it continues. We must be eager to ensure that unity in the bride of Christ continues. Church, that's what we're to be about. And I want you to know it has to mimic Christ. I think that's why Paul doesn't stop talking here. Because we would misconstrue what it looks like. You see, God loves us with an uncompromising love. Uncompromising is he will not compromise himself to show you false love. Nor will he ever compromise you in his love. You see, that's the uncompromising love of God. It's not wild, it's not reckless, it's not irregardless. It's uncompromising because he knows who he is. And he knows what love is. And it's founded and grounded upon him. John would say God is in fact love. So if this is true, then what does this unity look like? If we know that God's given us a vocation as a church to live in a way that honors God, that's worthy of our calling to build the bride of Christ, to allow the kingdom to be seen in all of its beauty. If we know that we have to be mindful, not of ourselves, but eager for the unity in the bride of Christ, then what? Look in your Bible, verse 4, 5, and 6. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. And one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Church, did you see what word was repeated there so many times? One. See, unity is God's design. Sin breaks apart, sin tears apart, but unity is God's design and it's his design for the church. If you want to know what the beauty of living in our vocation looks like, it looks like the bride of Christ joined with one heart, living with one focus for him. And I don't even have to give you the pointers, it's right here in scripture. First of all, it says, listen, you've been given one body and spirit now listen, I want you to know this is not talking about you. It's talking about you. We're still talking about the church. If you want to know what the beautiful picture of the calling, the vocation of Christ in us leads to, it's the oneness of his bride. What do you think heaven's going to be like? Every tribe, nation, and tongue with one voice. Praising God. We have one body and one spirit. Any spirit that sets itself up against the bride of Christ is not from God. We have to be eager to maintain that oneness. And when we look at how we maintain it and what it looks like, God opens the door further. He says, there's one hope that belongs to your call. There's not a lot of different things. At the end of the day, and I say this all the time, at the end of the day, my job has nothing to do with whether we meet in a sheltered, air-conditioning, lighted place or not. You know that? You know I spent four and a half dedicated hours on making sure we could do that this morning. Uh, are we glad to do that? 
Absolutely. But if we didn't, should that affect my hope in what God's going to accomplish in our body today? No. It only does if my mind is off of my hope. You see, what God has called us to is one hope, one family, one body, one spirit based on him. And, and, and scripture says it's based on Jesus Christ, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. You see, our hope points only to Jesus. If it doesn't have to do with Jesus, then it's a distraction by our preferences, by our, a caveat we might have. If my faith, if my unity is based on how you will receive me, if my unity is based on if you will just compromise some things for me, then it's not unity at all. You see, church, if our community looks from the outside and says, oh, that's the church with the music that I really like, or that's the church with the pastor that always gives really long sermons, and that must be godly. Or, oh, that's the church where the, the friend, my friends go to church. If we are described not by our hope, but we aim our lives at those descriptors, then we miss it. God is calling you and I to one hope. It's not about being rich or poor or having air conditioning or lighting. Not about our house, not about our job, not about retirement. It's not about our government. It's about our one Lord, Jesus Christ. And then it's about and based on one faith and baptism. Now this is pretty amazing. All the rest of it until faith and baptism, they seem like they're weird. They, they go together. One body, one spirit, the bride of Christ, one hope, the call of Christ, one Lord, the mastery of Christ, our focus, one faith, what God uses to change us on the inside, and one baptism, our act of displaying the change that God has done on the outside. You see, as we get all these things put together, we really start to understand and see that what God's called us to is oneness. What God's called us to is this unity in him. But it's not just random unity based on our druthers or our preferences. It's unity based on our vocation. God has called us to be his kingdom builders. God has called us to be his ambassadors together. And, and it only happens when we step back and allow others to be thought of before ourselves. And what it looks like is it looks like a hope, one church built not on the reputation of a pastor, not built on a reputation of my relationships, not built on the size of the building. But it comes because it's built upon one faith, an uncompromising faith that was given to us by Jesus Christ. Not traditions, not preferences, no caveats. One faith. And that faith leads us to one baptism. The Spirit changes us. And He 
reveals that to our brothers and sisters. And it builds unity. All of this is permeated by one God and Father. You see, your vocation depends on the boss. I don't know if you knew that yet. If, if you're at your job and your, your boss mismanages, your, your stuff closes. If you're on the job and the economy downturns and your boss can't handle it, then your job could be lost. Your vocation that Christ has given you is built on God the Father, the creator and sustainer of everything. Here's what that means. It will not be shaken. It will never be lost. Church, that is the unity that Christ has called us to. To understand that you weren't called in the way that we call each other today. But when Jesus Christ summoned you and you responded to that call, you got a whole new vocation. We got a whole new vocation. What's getting in the way of that in your life? What's getting in the way of you living out that vocation in every avenue of your life? What caveats do you have to lay down? What preferences do you have to lay down? What personal druthers need to be set aside? What, what past hurts and disappoint? What needs to be set aside so that you and we can be the church that God has called us to be? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for giving us this vocation. We know it didn't come at a small price by the life of your son. So God, today we pray that you would help us to be one church. Lord, singularly focused to live our life in a way that aligns with our vocation. Mindful of the bride. Hopeful, captivated for the unity that we have in you. Father God, if there are any in this room this morning or that have had no part in this vocation up until now, Lord, would you let them know that they are invited in, as Omar said, that Jesus Christ loves you. You are not defined by what you've done, what you've, where you've been, but you can be defined anew in Jesus Christ, who humbly laid down his life for you, who gently calls you to himself and is patient and long-suffering for you to join him. Lord, would you let them know that true faith and baptism. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.